Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your rigging ropes aren't just tools of the trade. They do the grunt work. They have to endure dynamic loads, abrasion, and moving through hardware while keeping you safe, which is why Samson rigging ropes are specifically designed and engineered to meet the rigors of your job, the result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Stable braid rigging line is the industry standard for arborists. A durable polyester double braid rope with a high strength to weight ratio, torque-free construction with UV protection. Put Stable Braid to work for you. Stable Braid from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit samsonrope.com for more information. This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by Tree Diaper. Did you know that the normal one-year warranty on a new tree has nothing to do with tree establishment? Or that newly transplanted trees need two to five years of maintenance before establishment? It's because trees often lose the majority of their roots during the establishment process for a variety of reasons, including the expense of irrigation and the time of manual watering. Tree Diaper is a patented multifunctional plant protection system that absorbs rain or irrigation water before slowly releasing it back when soil dries. When used properly, it promotes healthy outward root growth that facilitates establishment and establishes the long-term health of the tree. By reducing watering need, it significantly reduces the labor and water costs while increasing the survival rate of newly transplanted trees. To learn more about how Tree Diaper can help your company get ahead of proper planting maintenance for your customers and help you save time and money, visit treediaper.com. Um, I've only been an arborist for about three years, I guess my, my third year. Uh, I'm from Cochrane, Alberta. Canada. I don't know if anyone's been up here that's listening, but um, it's right near the mountains. It's a beautiful little town, but it's uh, it's small and it's a suburb of Calgary, which is you know where the Flames play. If people are familiar with hockey, it's a, a bigger city. So you know, with big cities comes uh, bigger production crews in a culture. And out here, there wasn't really a company doing much. You know, there's a couple of guys around. Um, so it was a great place to kind of move and start a little business. But I guess even going back before that, um, I was an emergency, worked in emergency services as an EMT um, for the full 16 years. And the last eight of it, I was combined as a firefighter EMT and had to get out of that just from mental health, work restrictions, actually just deterioration of the mind doing that. It's just day in, day out too much, lack of sleep for years. And uh, I had to find a new career you know, not by choice, which is extremely hard to do when you're kind of being forced into a new change in life. But after doing some exams on what kind of things I think I would enjoy, you know, those little job tests, horticulture kept coming back up. And I didn't know much about horticulture, thinking it was a greenhouse thing. Um, but, you know, then somehow, I don't even remember how, stumbled across a boar culture because I'd never even seen an arborist before. But I already liked using chainsaws from some wildland firefighting I did. And I don't know, I love the smell of two stroke. It's it sounds probably really corny and stuff, but I mean, I was, I was like desperate for something, right. That I was going to enjoy. So I was like, wow, I can climb trees. And I wanted to find a job too, that would uh, allow me to have a higher rate of earnings, um, you know, because of like the danger or risk factor. And then also because you have to be physically fit to do it, you know, if you're, you know, a climber or something like that. So that's kind of what I had my, uh, my sights on. And I didn't feel like I had a ton of time to retrain, um, to a full new career being 37 now. I was, so I was about 35, 34 then. So it seemed like the perfect fit. 
um, I started working with some other companies around Calgary just to kind of get a taste for the job and did my own research. You know, and I recommend that to anyone to uh, definitely try and find a mentor and maybe some good companies that are reputable and work with them and see if you can learn from them. Um, so I did that and I started at the bottom, like everyone generally does and pick up sticks off the ground and throw them in the chipper and, um, quickly realized that I don't want to be a groundy for very long. Like I, I respect that part of the job. Of course, I want to clean things up, but I didn't want to work with somebody else doing it and then be held back from learning more, you know, and that's, and that was my own mindset at the time, but it worked out well. I went and got some training from Abor Culture Canada. You might be coming back to tie in some of this conversation later, but um, I went and got my own training to try and high speed things uh, and feel confident that I could, you know, do some basic pruning and things like that. And luckily where I live, the trees are pretty small, like they're medium to small trees. So you don't need to be an expert climber rigging things down or even need more than one person at most jobs. So everything kind of fit together really well. And uh, I started my own company here and it's uh, last year was my first year since June, the last six months, um, as an or incorporated business, my wife helps me do some administration and things have been just really successful and I've really enjoyed it so far. So you said you've only been in tree care for three years, correct? Yeah. It seems like you've done quite a bit in three years of time. So what is it, what is it about you that's really led you to putting in all of this effort in three years? Because no offense to other people who may be in the tree care industry, but you in three years have accomplished a lot more than the average the arborist has. Yeah, it's hard to say. I like to feel like I've been really successful that way. I mean, on one hand, Instagram and everything is a bit of an illusion, right? So what you actually see on Instagram is not always how it is, for one. So everyone's got to take that with a grain of salt. Like I can make it look like I'm an expert climber, you know, through photography and tricks of the camera and stuff, right? But I'm like anyone else. I uh, get scared and don't know what to do sometimes. And I have people to rely on. So what I did, and I think what worked well, you know, for my situation is I, I already had transferable skills that I didn't realize in the beginning from already being 35 years old. Like people don't, I don't know if everyone realizes how much you literally learn day to day as you grow. So I went into it older and more mature than other people. So I had some other basic skills, good communication skills and things like that with people, you know, which is great for business. I had the background in photography um, a real interest in Instagram and marketing. Um, and was able to learn quickly. I think also too, for my previous career, you're kind of taught to learn things really quickly and adapt to different situations. So, um, and forcing myself into that plunge, I guess, of starting my own business, I kind of was forced to learn things really fast. And, but when you're passionate about something and, you know, you support it with education and a good mentor and, you know, a little bit of luck from having a good community and support from friends and family, it just worked out really well. So I think that was maybe some of the advantage there. Like I had a bit of the entrepreneurial mindset. And I really had this also this one other thought too, of that I wanted to do something that I could be rewarded for, for the hard work that I put in. Like the previous career, it was very structured. It was union-based, you know, policy and protocol. You would advance through the, the chain of command, I guess, and become a captain or whatever, based on seniority, not based on how well you are at leading somebody or a crew, whereas uh, working for yourself and starting your own tree business or whatever, you, you need to put that effort in, but you also get out of it, whatever you put in for effort. So it was, it was great that way. I, I guess, and this is going to sound like a weird question because obviously you did work in EMS for, you said 18 years. 
about 16. 16 years. Um, you said that, you know, you, you know a lot now going into the tree care industry because you're older and you have more experience. Do you wish that you did start earlier in the tree care industry? And do you think that you would probably be in a similar place and mindset that you are today? Or do you think that your experiences from, from previously have led you to where you are? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, we don't have a crystal ball, of course, to see what would happen if we did something else. But I think everything the way it is now is as a result of what's happened before, good and bad. I mean, all of the bad situations in my life have led to such amazing positive experiences now. And I mean, I'm in this big, long journey of, you know, trying to heal my brain and everything too, from the previous career that, um, you know, kind of consumes my life and tree care is part of that. But I think everything had to be as it was to be the catalyst to how things worked out today. So I, I wouldn't change anything. And I, I wouldn't go back and try and start as an arborist earlier on. And I heard from people too, that people go through about five different career changes in their life on average. And that sounds crazy because when I was in mine, I was like, no way I'm doing anything different. This is it forever. Right. But it's true. Like I've gone through a bunch of different types of careers and some of them overlap and sometimes you do two at a time, but um, it makes sense. And you just, it's nice to learn something completely new and, and have a different chapter of your life. And, and uh, you know, who knows how long it will last or how long it will go, but I'm, I'm getting more training and in, in similar, but, but different areas too. So I could diversify and explore um, the future with maybe something that's not climbing trees. Cause I think eventually I'm not going to want to climb trees being 37, like maybe for the next 10 years, it's fine. But you know, if I want to be fat and lazy, I don't want to climb a tree anymore. That's, that's perfectly fair because I think we all aspire to become fat and lazy at some point. I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe not all, but I think there's a, a wide group of people, but where did you pick up the skills to learn how to run your own business. I mean, was this, when you started, was it just kind of some sort of, you were working with other companies and you were thinking like, hey, I could do this or was somebody pushing you towards it or were you pushing yourself towards it? Because it seems, well, I'm just gonna put it out, it seems difficult like running your business from a lot of the people we've talked to. Running a tree care business has a lot of, uh, I mean, logistical things behind the scenes as well as a lot of logistical things that have to do with safety and training and education and working with it's it's fully out there so where did you yeah. kind of where did you think you're like this is it i know um well there's a lot of different aspects to that i guess i had a little bit of experience in the past from starting some kind of small businesses i think some people have that sort of entrepreneurial mindset you know even when you're a kid and you want to make some little products and go door to door and sell things. And you just want to like skip the middleman, you know, you want to make something if you're into being creative and stuff and then, uh, you know, put that stuff to market. But I think it started with some photography. Um, you know, I learned how to be a photographer on my own and just through some trial and error and had a bit of an eye for it. But then, you know, people started asking you to do photos for them and that kind of just slowly evolved into a business. And that would be like a sole proprietorship, right? I didn't have employees and that sort of thing. So I think there's also a big difference between running a sole proprietorship or a very small company versus a bigger company. And I have that same feeling as like your question you asked me, like, how would you go to a bigger company? Like, I think there's no way I could do that. Like, I have no experience in managing people and human resources or how to balance like a budget with buying multiple chippers and, and bucket trucks and like that is not me. I don't want to be a business manager. I want to be hands-on. So that is also difficult though, too, being a business owner, but also being the technician. 
And a lot of entrepreneurs or business people will say, you can't really be both. You have to kind of be one or the other, but it is a bit of a niche market for me. And not that you couldn't do it anywhere, um, but I think starting out slow and one step at a time really helps. And I think anyone can do it. Um, you just need to think like your boss or however they run things and and um, look at some of the costs, some of the equipment you have, like a start small, like a lot of other guys with a truck and uh, your pickup truck and your chainsaw. And, you know, and, you know, I always meant well and tried to do as best as I could and just tried to get training as much as I could when I would do things. I wouldn't want to cut someone's tree and make an error. So I think you have to be also cognizant of that. Like you have to have the motivation for sure to do it and to separate yourself from others. And then, you know, having a bit of interest and skill in marketing obviously helps a ton um, to get it out there. And I had gone through multiple small businesses like that, you know, where you go through the steps of starting a Gmail account and an Instagram account and, you know, you pick out a good name and that's all kind of fun. I think everyone kind of has a little bit of interest in doing that. But once you get that set up, you know, people find you and you maybe just pay for a small ad through Google or Instagram and your local community, someone finds you and asks you to come over and do their trees for them. And before you know it, you're off and running. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think you simplified the process down a lot of, <laughs> of, of, especially the, the marketing half of it too, of your business. Um, you are very successful on Instagram. You were a photographer previously you have a, a lot of skills that you have picked up. And I think a lot of people from everywhere aspire to become some sort of ambassador or influencer or brand persona about that. What is, I don't say what is the secret behind getting into it, but I find a lot of times you don't have to be the best at anything to pick up any of that kind of stuff. It's usually yeah, totally. about like, sheer charisma does that seem accurate to you yeah it's uh i mean my instagram and as far as like becoming an ambassador for things um started really early actually and it came down to more communication collaboration and photography is what brought that on right like when i started i wanted to become an arborist in the fall and i had to kind of wait the whole winter season once i fully committed myself to become an arborist um, before I could start working. So I was working hard on Instagram and connecting with other people and asking questions to other guys on Instagram, um, watching videos and things like literally seeing how people would tie into trees and what kind of gear they were using and almost as a training tool. And, um, you know, by having all that time, I could put a lot of effort into it. Um, but I think if somebody wanted to explore that option, and I think it's definitely viable for anyone to do, um, you just have to familiar, familiarize yourself first with photography, um, especially with like Instagram. If we speak about Instagram specifically, um, you could also be a YouTuber, but then you'd have to have your different skills of, you know, obviously being able to record and edit video. So think about your platform, Instagram, it's highly visual. It's usually one photo you see at a time. And when people are scrolling, you want them to kind of stop on your photo. So I would use different techniques like, you know, overly saturated or clarified edited photos. So, um, you know, know how to take photos. You don't even have to have a professional camera, although it helps, you know, anything you can do to make yourself better than the average dude or woman will, uh, will help. So I would get, you know, a collection of good photographs. Maybe I'd go and actually take photos of another arborist. And, um, I would always tag like the companies and the gear that's in the photos um, I would maybe even open up emails and send them photos from a photo shoot that I would do and be like, Hey, look at all these photos I got for this guy wearing near Husqvarna pants and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, by going 
outside of Instagram and sending some emails and just making those connections, you build some dialogue between you and those people and you start to get noticed. Um, and then people will start to follow you. You just have to understand your platform as well. So you have to know how to do some good photography and then know the platform you're working with like Instagram and use all aspects of it. So you want to share stories, you want to make regular, consistent posts. Um, obviously your attractive images, you want to use all of your hashtags that you can already mentioned that, um, just all that kind of stuff and tag as many people as you can to get more awareness of your stuff and, and try and develop a bit of a, a bit of a theme, <clears throat> you know, so when people come to your page, you have a nice organized profile, attractive profile picture, and um, everything kind of flows. You know, there's not a lot of difference in, in your content. Mine's starting to stray a bit right now, but um, people are okay with it. I've already grabbed a lot of followers, so it's okay. Yeah, and I think I think there's a huge distinction too between taking photos how you take them. You take very nice, you know, structured photos, like you said, with a theme, and you go through and editing them afterwards and becoming an influencer that way and becoming one kind of just where you're just taking photos and posting a lot. I think a lot of times it's kind of a misconception where if you post all the time, you're going to get in front of all these eyes when I think in actuality, if you post less frequently, but post higher quality content, mm -hmm. you're going to make a, a, make a difference. Yeah. I mean, you get people to look at your stuff easily with a quick, awesome photo. And that's the first step. But then you got to get retain those people and want them to follow you. So you have to have quality content out there. It's just like having a website. If you want your website to get more traffic, you need quality content on it. So you need to start a blog and literally write articles, you know, that will contain a lot of the keywords. And as you build up more volume, you'll start to get noticed a lot more, you know, with a website. So just kind of understanding those things, you know, even just YouTubing some videos about how to do all that kind of stuff um, really, really helps. And that's what I did in the beginning. I'm always doing it to try and keep up on the changes with like Instagram and, or I was not as much right now. I'm starting to get pretty busy, but, but uh, people should also remember, like, it's really cool to have, you know, some ambassador relationships or get some free chainsaws and that sort of thing. Like, it's really awesome. And I really appreciate it. And it was honestly a bit of a joke in the beginning for me to do it. Um, to see if I could build up an Instagram account to try and get a free chainsaw. And that was, that's how it started and it worked, but then it kept going. Um, it's really cool. But, um, you know, honestly, if I would take that time, cause it does take a lot of time to do it out of your day. Like last night I did a post for someone and put a little bit of an ad up and it, it took me over an hour to do it in the evening when I could have been hanging out with my family. So, um, you gotta remember that you could probably go and do one tree job or work for one day and just buy all that gear outright, you know, instead of spending time on Instagram doing it. So it's not like I'm making a lot of money or something doing it. It's kind of a bit of a passion. And I think it would have to be for you to make it successful. No, I think, I think that's totally accurate. It is a lot of work and it is a lot of effort and there's a lot of extra education behind it. Like you were saying that you're, you're constantly trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Um, things are changing, putting out ads, creating, editing. It's, it's a long process, but I think the list of things you can do correctly to become an ambassador or an influencer, I think people know that. What are some incorrect things that you see people going around doing? I know this isn't like the Instagram podcast right now, but I feel like this is important oh, yeah. because a lot, totally of, fine. a lot of our members are on Instagram. A lot of our members are posting photos and tagging in maybe it's not to become an influencer, but it's because they're excited and they're mm -hmm. enjoying what they're doing. But yeah, I think, I think a lot of people 
don't realize that there's a lot of things you shouldn't be posting on Instagram as well. Just because you do it doesn't mean it needs to go out. So I was wondering if you could kind of, I don't want to say, tell some red flags that you've seen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess, yeah, it obviously plays the opposite of what things you should do. But um, you don't want to post things that are like unsafe obviously you know unless you didn't know any better but you don't want to intentionally be posting photos of yourself using a chainsaw with jeans on or shorts on and um you know not wearing your helmet and showing off that kind of thing um again you want that valuable content so anything that's invaluable like i don't know just poor quality images if you have anything that's poor quality people aren't going to look at it at all so you need to learn how to do a good comp composed photo um, that does look clear and crisp. So anything that's not that it's not going to be very attractive unless there's, you know, good value in that post. Otherwise, because you caught something that was crazy, you know, with your video, um, being inconsistent is not very good. So that could be anything from, you know, your profile is, you know, half pictures of your kids and half pictures of a board culture. Like you'll get some followers, but you got to think when you want to follow other Instagram pages out there, like you want to follow stuff that's cool, right? Like I have a whole bunch that I follow that I follow them for their own reasons. Like some guys have like all crazy 360 GoPro camera footage from like the top of a tree. And that's like what their Instagram is like known for. And that's what I've come to expect from them and really enjoy watching that. And there's other guys that are, you know, provide content on like, say just pruning and like the tips and tricks they have of pruning. So I'm learning something from that person. So the consistency is important. Um, also with your profile, just simple things like making sure it's public or you switch to a business profile. There's a lot of people out there where I've seen some cool content and they go click on their profile to see what other kind of stuff they have. Cause I might want to follow them and they got their profile mm -hmm. locked up as private. So <laughs> then it's like, well, instantly, and I don't even look at anything or follow you or even ask to, cause I don't really want to go through that extra step. Right. Um, you don't want to post things, obviously like political, racial, all that kind of stuff. You know, you want to keep things generic and just keep it light. You know, so you kind of have to be professional about it if you want to move in that professional direction, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. Well, thank you for going over that. So um, let's let's go back into actual tree care discussion. What led you to your specific like, niche area of, of tree care, I guess? Like, um, Yeah, and I think I have actually kind of created a bit of a, a niche in my own mind um maybe it's due to the lack of giant trees that need to be rigged down but i'm not much of a climber you know i do climb i can do it safely i understand the physics of it but i mean i would be up there twice the amount of time as somebody else that's good at it and um you know really trying to figure it out to stay safe whereas i find as an arborist you get a lot of people calling you and asking you know my tree's not doing very well in my front yard and it looks sick or you know can you cut my tree down the tree looks healthy so one thing led to another, I'd go over and prune someone's tree and see maybe some discoloration or it's, the branch is dying. And I'm like, Oh, should I remove this? Should I not remove this? Like, you know, people call you when their trees are out of control and they've never been pruned. And you're like, okay, well, I know from my course, I can only remove, you know, rule of thumb, 30% volume from this tree within three years. And I hope everyone understands that. Um, otherwise I could put this tree into stress, right. And each species is different and you're just overwhelmed with all these with all these things. So for me, at least, if I understand the physiology of it or the biology of the tree and how things work and how it grows, you can then make your own decision for that scenario of, of what you're going to do. Like, should you recommend removing that tree? Should you heavily prune it? Or, you know, should you not remove that diseased piece of branch 
at this time of year, um, all that kind of thing. And those answers will come with, with that education. So um, I started looking at reasons why trees weren't growing because they, they would uh, they'd say, oh, I want to fertilize my tree and uh, it didn't work. And like, okay, so let's look at your soil and what it's growing in. And everything kind of led to the ground for me. So tree care led to soil care. And then once I learned soil care, you know, I found the soil food web and people can look that up online. And that's talks about the, the whole web of, of life that's actually supposed to be in your soil. And little did I know that what you want to do is kind of reverse engineer everything. And you want to inoculate the soil with all these microbes and feed them to build soil and allow fungi to form like mycorrhizal fungi, which build, build relationships with tree roots and many plant roots, um, which gives them more access to nutrients and water underground. And once a tree has all these things in place, then the tree can grow and the tree will grow to a nutrient density that insects don't want to uh, go up against. So if you have your tree on the block and it's in proper soil and you've used compost to inoculate and add organic matter to your soil and you use, you know, a few inches of wood chips for some long-term food and keep the moisture in the ground and you build the soil by feeding the microbes, your tree is going to be so happy. And it's going to grow strong and have full of life, be full of life. It's going to live longer. And I mean, these things are expensive too. Like you don't want your tree to die and be replacing them for 800 bucks a tree or whatever it is. Some of these people have, and it takes so long to grow. I think it's, it's really important too. So, um, that's been kind of my niche, I guess. Um, we also had a couple of bad years of weather where people were calling because their trees weren't leafing out. So I kind of fell into that position by needing to provide a lot of answers for people of why things were the way they were with their tree. And um, I fell in love with that and the soil and, and the fungi and everything. And it's, it's been incredibly beneficial for arboriculture. I think it's really important. And all arborists should have at least some degree of knowledge of that, in my opinion. Where did you pick up, you, you talked about education and courses and stuff like that. What were some of your, your education uh, that you recommend that other people either start looking into or taking for themselves? Yeah, the big ones that made a difference for me um, was I went and did training with Arboriculture Canada. Their sister company in the States would be like Nats, North American Training Solutions. Um, so when I went there and took the first course, it was amazing. It was a really small group of guys. You could go down rabbit holes with them and ask questions of, of everything. So I recommend any kind of education to anyone, like just start with what you're interested in or what you think you need to learn more about. But I started off with like, you know, the safety, chainsaw safety and some cutting techniques and that sort of thing. But when I hit the tree pruning class, I think it was only one day as well. It was based on Alex Shigo. If anyone knows who he is, kind of the grandfather of arboriculture, <clears throat> he developed um, a lot of different studies and things he did and um, the term uh, coded co compartmentalization of decay in trees. So he would taught people how to prune in the proper places so that trees, you know, are less stressed, that sort of thing. So this course was based on all that. And I was like, wow, the biology of a tree. Now I know kind of how to prune a tree. And then the other course I took that really made a big difference was tree insect and disease management. And that was a three-day course, you know, so not very long, anyone could do these. And um, that dove deep into these insects and why they're hitting the trees. And I would get more and more questions and I would just do some self-research online and find different articles and realize that, you know, insects can see infrared and that's why they can see the difference in trees that are healthy versus non-healthy and will attack them versus others. And, and um, those really set me off on that path. And then from that course, that's where we kind of started talking about guys that were using compost teas and these things like that on their trees. And, you know, not that compost teas the, is something to use. It's, 
probably not, but like using compost in general, that's, that's the important thing. Um, that's just kind of what started that catalyst reaction, I guess, into that whole side of things. How much of a science background do you need to have to get into something like that? Because I can personally say my own science background is lacking. So yeah. this, this stuff you're Dude. saying, the stuff you're saying seems, uh, I don't know, it seems a lot more advanced. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't have to be though. Like I, I'm kind of like enjoying that as like a bit of a hobby or falling in love with it. And I, I'm just one to want to go deeper and deeper to, you know, to figure out why something works, but not everyone's like that. And they don't have to be because they're comfortable just knowing, you know, to a certain point what they have to do and what things to look for. And that's totally fine. But, you know, even the ISA manual has a bit of information on this kind of stuff, but it doesn't go too in depth. Um, those Alex Shigo books, um, I've got a few of those or Ed Gilman illustrated guide to pruning. Um, they're all great and they go in depth and explain the stuff. So I don't think you need a huge science background. Um, you can even listen to podcasts if you're not into reading and I'm not into reading, even though I buy books like crazy and they sit there, but, uh, podcasts are great stuff like this, right? Like people here in this might be like, wow, I've never thought of it that way. And they're going to go look up like what mycorrhizal fungi is or what the soil food web is. And then you just start going down those rabbit holes and listen to a few podcasts. And before you know it, you're, you're half an expert on it. And science doesn't have to be like, you know, I go to school and I take a four year biology degree. Like I hated science in school. I did, I think bio. 20 because you had to do a grade 11 science and I chose the easiest one. And then I didn't do any sciences till I was done. Sounds accurate. Yeah. yeah I think everyone's in the same boat. You don't want to be in school and you have to be there. So, um, but there's so many people out there now and that I think are getting more respected as like home or citizen scientists. Like I have a microscope and everything now at home. It's just, just fun to play around with and show the kids and like see the bugs in the ground and the soil and, and be able to understand it kind of on that level. And not that you need to, but um, just that basic understanding is probably all you really need. As long as you feel good about the decision you're making when you prune or when you tell someone to cut their tree down and you know why, it's important to know that you know why you're telling them why they should do that, you know, if that makes sense. So if you don't know why or, you know, you know, you should be telling someone not to cut their tree down because it's totally fine, but you want to make money like that's wrong. You got to follow your gut and you got to know what's right i think i think you should respect that so yeah so it kind of sounds like a lot when somebody says if you can't teach somebody else how to do it you don't know it it kind of sounds like it's a similar situation for you when you're talking with clients like if you can't teach them that this is the best way to do it then either you don't know it as well as you think you should or maybe they just see it a different way and you have to really be honest about it with them yeah I think so honest with them and be honest with yourself. Like if you don't know what you're doing, like get some help. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I had a guy phone me yesterday who had wrote me on Instagram and he's a bit of an arborist or, or becoming an arborist. And he called me and, and started asking a question about uh, this tennis court that had like poplar trees starting to grow through it. And I think they had asked him to cut the trees all around the tennis court, but he didn't really reveal that information in the beginning. He was kind of asking me as if it was his tennis court. And so I went through and explained kind of the whole process of, you know, you don't want to cut these trees. They grow like through rhizomes underground. Like that's how they create their forest stands, like um, by repopulating that way. And by like cutting something down, it's just going to cause more stress. It's going to want to sucker even more. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with this. Um, and then he sort of revealed after that he was a bit of an arborist and he had talked to me on Instagram before. And I was like, oh, like, hey, man, that's awesome. Like, like, thanks. I wasn't offended by it, you know, that he was like trying to trick me or anything. He just wanted to know. And then 
uh, we got talking, we talked for over an hour and talked about tree stuff. And I recommended a ton of books to him. And I was like, that's great. And he's like, well, I really, I really appreciate that. And, and I'm like, you know, if I can pass along information that I have, and I don't, I'm not the expert, you know, out there, like some other people are, I'm sure there's tons of guys that know way more than I do. Um, but if I can give him some information that, you know, turns his interests a different direction, you know, into the soil and that sort of thing. And think about things a little bit deeper and give him some recommendations on books and podcasts he listens to. It's like, it's a greater impact that I'll have on the tree care industry than going and being hands-on and trying to go prune trees in his area than it would be just to have him on board with the same thought process, learn for himself. And then now I can have an impact on a greater amount of trees by him doing it. Yeah. And how do you go about making those kind of connections with other people uh, in the industry? You know, I know we talk a lot about in-person events, but obviously right now in-person events are kind of been, you know, either pushed off or put on mm -hmm. hold or even turned into something totally virtual. And it's not the same thing. And I think, I think it's important to note that there's a strategy to trying to make these connections when you are at one of these digital events. So how would you go about making a connection? Uh, I guess this is still technically of March in 2021. Yeah. Um, there's different ways. I mean, I've, reached out to a lot of people, even through Instagram. If you don't, if you're kind of shy and don't want to, uh, you know, just start cold calling people, uh, write people on Instagram, start up conversations with them. Like if they look like they have some cool experience and you want to learn more about it, you know, you can comment on their posts, direct message them also helps your own Instagram by doing that sort of thing. And then maybe, you know, you can even call people through Instagram once you get talking to them a bit and just, you know, start some conversation up, um, ask them for some recommendations. Like you don't want to be afraid to um, it's hard because everyone sort of is, you don't want to, with your ego, right. You don't want to be like asking another guy questions. Like you don't know. Cause you're like, man, I have my own business and I'm doing stuff, but I don't know this. And I don't want people to know that I don't know this, but I would say pretty much everyone honestly is willing to help. If you let your ego go and call and ask for help from someone, someone is, is usually proud to help you if they think that you know more than they do kind of thing. Right. You know, and if they don't, hopefully they're honest about it and they just try and help you too. And then you feel like you've, you've built a new peer relationship. Um, so other than Instagram, I mean, looking for other local companies, like I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there that know there's some pretty reputable, good companies around that are doing their job. Well, you could go and ask to job shadow with them or just work with them for a little bit and, you know, try and find a mentor. So that's a friendly, friendly, professional relationship is all that is. Um, and if you're new, it's great. Maybe you can go work for that company too. Like really seek out the company you want to work for us. It is getting any job. Um, finally, I think the absolute best option would be, and there are still some courses open, but if you can sign up for some courses, like local courses in your area, we're going to meet other guys from your area. It's a total, um, like relaxed atmosphere where everyone's in the same boat, right? They're all different arborists, but they're there to learn and they're there to learn the same course. So everyone's going to be asking the same sort of questions, um, you can make friends with other guys that you can learn from afterwards in different aspects. And, um, that's where I would start. Yeah. I think that's definitely a good place to start, especially with everything starting back up again, in-person events are coming back, having those kind of digital interactions and then meeting them in person, especially mm -hmm. if you are a more shy person, definitely. Um, and you guys have that big, uh, expo down in the States too. I think you didn't have it last year. Is that right? But yeah, we didn't have it in 2020, but we had in 2019. Right. And I heard about that from a lot of people online. because I was really active online then. And, um, man, tons of people were going to that. It sounded really cool. And I was just going to Hawaii for a vacation, right. As it was ending. And I 
meant to hook up with a bunch of guys in Hawaii that did tree care because I wanted to get some cool pictures and just kind of see how they did palms and stuff like that. And uh, I did reach out to a bunch of people. It worked out really good. They were all super friendly and inviting, um, but a lot of them were at the at the TCIA Expo. So that would be an also an awesome opportunity. And then I saw my Instagram just lighting up with all these guys that are, you know, bigger on Instagram as Arborists and they're all there and chatting. So that would be a great atmosphere to build a lot of relationships and things that you can continue on with later on. Well, we are, we are having it this year, 2021. Okay. So, where, like, uh, where, what's some of the details about that? We're going to be in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, we're still in the planning stages right now of the, all the different education and stuff like that. Uh, I do from, from what I can say for when this goes out is that um, we are doing our best to make sure that it can be, you know, a safe event, but also kind of what everybody's used to still where we're trying yeah. to balance the two worlds that we're going on right now, but we're excited. Everybody here on staff is actually really excited because last year to have it be done, it's kind of, you know, we were lost with ourselves. That's our, mm -hmm. that's our big event. That's where we yeah. get to see everybody too. So. Yeah. And I, I'm not really big into online like things. I'm sure you can still learn from them, but I haven't really participated much in online events like that. I just hard to it's, sit down and it's, it's hard. And I mean, I think it's hard even for people who are, you know, I mean, arborists by nature are more outdoorsy. Like that's just, yeah, that's yeah. just it. But even even somebody like me who's inside, who's on the computer, who's doing that, it's so easy to get distracted, man, because I would rather do almost anything else than sit down and take an hour and a half to yeah. to stare at a screen. It's it's so much, it's so much focus, it's so much work. It's so easy to get distracted, especially when you're at home or like in the office somewhere. You're like, oh look, there's so and so. I'm gonna go grab a <laughs> snack or bathroom break. And yeah, yeah. So I I feel that one. So we're we're very happy to be going back to in-person events but i think also doing some of these online events has shown us that there still is a demand for that because we found that a lot of people can't travel all the time for expo mm -hmm. or people are in the middle of busy seasons sometimes or i mean just even for yeah. smaller workshops like we have to choose cities that are that are a little larger so we can get more people there. It's not to try to purposefully exclude people who are in smaller cities outside, but the United States is big. Canada's big. You know, it's hard to, to convince yeah. somebody to drive five hours one way because it's the closest metropolitan area to them. Yeah. I like, I would have loved to have come or will one day, but yeah, definitely the first, the first question is like, how much is it going to cost and how long is it going to, am I going to need to be there for? Of of John, reach out to you. John can answer all those questions for you. Yeah. When you guys are going over everything else. Yeah, yeah. But I'd love to love to come down and check it out sometime. That'd be great. Cool. I will I will put you in touch with the proper people because right now it's not me unless you want to do a podcast episode down there. But <laughs> yeah, no man, that'd be sweet. Yeah. But I'd love yeah, I meet all these guys from Instagram that come to the thing and. No, I mean I'm glad glad you point out Expo because a lot of people. Um, a lot of people talk about it. a lot of people go and I think people come and they think it's a fun networking experience. You get to see all, all your buddies again, everybody who you've been talking to for like a full year, you finally get to meet up and do this. And it's a really big thing, but I think sometimes the importance of the education that goes on there can, isn't downplayed. It's just not front of mind up until years like last year where we couldn't have it so people who earned a lot of their ceus um right. you know you step you start to have to scramble and you start to have to find 
other ways to do it. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think education is, it feels like it's difficult to come by sometimes. I don't know if you would agree or disagree with that statement. Um, yeah, I think education's well, for me anyway, it's not hard to come by. There is a lot of online courses and stuff you can take now if you wanted to stay at home. And I think a lot of them are pretty valuable that you can go through. Um, and, you know, my local area is not too far from some of those private companies like Aboriculture Canada that, that offer these courses. And, you know, I'm on their list, subscribe to their email list, whatever, and I get updates all the time of every course going on. It's only a day or two, so it's not too hard to get out to them. And I think for most people, it is kind of spending that money, though. It's taking a day off work, so you're going to earn earn less, and then you got to spend 300 to to $1,000 on a one- to three-day course. And, you know, they think, yeah, do I really need it? Like, I'm already doing my job, and it seems to be okay. But I don't know. Education has so much benefit for me now that I've realized, like, it's not just the education of, like, what you're learning in that course, which is great, but it brings up so many questions of different other things that you want to learn. And it, then it just really motivates you, gets you excited about doing tree work again. Um, plus the networking, like the people you meet in there, you have no idea where that's going to lead. Like that's happened to me multiple times. I've met people in those courses that I still talk to today or, um, and I help them with things or guys that have become mentors, like long-term friends. And like the benefit is just, it's just incredible. So I would really make an effort to try and go to some of these things that, anyone listening about the mentors so kind of swapping gears entirely mm -hmm. how do you, how did you choose a mentor um coming in because i'm assuming you you had to learn a lot on your own so what kind of person were you looking for to to be a mentor um <clears throat> i like to always try and like surround myself i always had this idea i don't know if someone told me this sometime but if you can surround yourself with people that are people like that you want to become that you idolize. I mean, as far as being smart and, you know, kind professionals or experts in whatever field they're in that you want to learn. Um, of course, that's awesome. It's like somebody who's already done those things. And if you can be have a friendly relationship with them, and they're willing to tell you things like you can, you can go direct to the information source, you know, while it's enjoyable and resonating, and you can ask questions as opposed to reading a book, you're like, only reading what they want to tell you, right? So I think everyone can understand that having a mentor is, is extremely valuable. And, you know, generally it's, it's free, right? It's not costing you money and it's, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know how else to explain how good a mentor would be, but um, the way I found one is honestly, from my very first course, I kind of stumbled across it. Like it seemed like as soon as I switched gears in life to just allow new opportunity to come in, um, things kind of fell into place as like cliche as that sounds, but this kind of also goes back to some other things I, I speak of in other podcasts is like, you know, with having a business and scheduling time in is like, you have to block time off and schedule time to be available for all these things to happen. Like if you're working hard, because it's the busy season, and I like I get it. You got to go Monday to Saturday working like maybe 10 hour days because you have crews to pay you have bills to pay. But and, and if you're at that point, and that's where you want to be like that's and you have more work than you ever need and you're happy with that, that's totally fine. But I mean, if you want to grow or you want to start a business or or whatever, you want to expand on the things you you know in case tree care is not going to be a thing all the time, you need to schedule time off. Like I don't schedule anything for Fridays. And sure enough, things always come up for Fridays. You have makeup days for weather or, or meetings with these people that I want to reach out to or new connections to make. And it allows you to be creative and come up with, new ideas for business, um, for businesses, or, you know, you want to go and do photos for your Instagram, all that kind of stuff. So 
you need that time, first of all, to make those things happen. But if you don't have time to meet with a mentor or ever discover one, like it's, it's just not really going to happen that easily, right? You meet somebody, it's like, oh, we'll get together for coffee. We'll talk, we'll go talk tree stuff. But like, are you actually going to go do that and make that meeting happen? Or are you going to be too busy and like, just let it fizzle away and never explore that, right? So for me, I did have time in the beginning, of course, because I was getting started. So that was on my side, but it was a, an instructor from my first course. Um, his name is Johnny Corthius. He has a wicked Instagram. He's like a base jumper, adrenaline junkie, like awesome. So his theme is like, it's just awesomeness. <laughs> you should check it out. But he's got, uh, yeah, a big mix of all that. So we get together and it's a good symbiotic relationship. Like um, he's basically like a male model. <laughs> I think he actually is for real, but um, usually, you know, he's all tattooed up, like cool looking guy, right? So attractive to that sort of industry, but he's a really smart dude. He's passionate about trees and all this stuff. And I was immediately like kind of glued onto him. Right. And I think a lot of people are like, go to those courses, but you know, they don't keep in touch from it. And I think he saw maybe some potential in me. I was a bit more mature. Um, I was a professional photographer. So I think, you know, he also needed a guy with a camera. <laughs> so it worked out good. Like, but sometimes you don't always want to be a leech though, either like sucking from people. So if you have a skill or something that you can offer back to people, um, that obviously really helps. So I was able to meet with him and, you know, maybe take some photos of doing some tree stuff, share it with him. We would build our Instagrams together. So I think it's just more about exploring, finding these people, find someone that you click with, like literally you're making a new friend and, um, find ways that you can, you can benefit that person as well. And oftentimes it's just through friendship, right? You know, if you click and you want to hang out with the person, like anybody can learn anything from, from anyone. If you just, you know, kind of take a step back and listen like you don't have to be an expert in a million things and have a million hobbies or all this education behind you like everyone has life experience that they can they can pass along good or bad um for someone else to learn from so just being in that place of being uh, being willing to learn i guess from them no i think that's solid advice um we're coming up on the end of the hour so i just want to touch base with you real fast is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't brought up yet um no i don't I don't think so. Um, if anyone wants to like reach out to me, I'm, I'm always open to that. I don't have like tons of people that, that write and call. So I usually get back to everyone uh, that I can, um, whether it's, you know, some questions about Instagram or photography or just want to chat trees or reach out for whatever reason, like I'm happy to do that. I, I built my Instagram as well by, by collaborating with people, just any arborist out there. And I especially love you know, even the small time arborists, because they think they can't build a relationship with someone who's got a big Instagram account, right, which is how I started and people didn't want to ignore me when I didn't have a very big one. But I like to edit other people's photos. So if you got a cool photo, you know, when you're wearing all the safety gear, and you can send me the original file, like I'm happy to take it if you edit it and send it to me. I'll, uh, I'll edit it up and throw it on my Instagram and tag you, give you a shout out and, uh, and try and bring you some followers and stuff. And I'm just happy to do that. It's fun. So We've been talking about your Instagram, but I keep forgetting to ask, what is your Instagram handle for everybody else who's listening oh, yeah. at home? <laughs> I guess I could tell people that. It's at Kurt the Arborist. So the at sign, obviously, K-U-R-T, the Arborist. And that's my main one that has a bunch of followers. But I also have a couple other ones. My actual business um, here in Cochrane is called at Cochrane Tree Care. And that one, I share a lot more um, information about kind of DIY stuff. So kind of like basic pruning knowledge, like 
different tips and things and things I see and things you shouldn't do, all that kind of stuff. So like, I think there's a lot of valuable information for arborists or new arborists, or maybe even experienced ones that just haven't seen certain things from an area like this. Um, I try and share that there. And I also have one called regenerative environments. So at regenerative environments, um, which I fell in love with the regenerative practice after I took a permaculture course. And that was like a two week uh, permaculture design course. And I highly recommend that for anyone, any aspect of their life, if they want to incorporate tying systems together, um, you know, yields versus needs and that sort of thing. It's, it's really interesting, but I would look that up as well. So we can follow me there too. And that has a bunch of permaculture stuff. Um, you know, I have an aquarium, a natural aquarium where it's got soil on the bottom. And, you know, I think about the nitrogen cycles in there and, you know, one thing feeds the other and that kind of stuff. So I kind of dive into mycology in there too, a bit, which is uh, mushrooms and mycelium and everything. It's really, it's really fun. So yeah, hit me up on all those. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your climbing ropes aren't just tools of the trade. Your life literally depends on them. Specifically designed to endure any environment you throw at them, Samson climbing lines not only meet the rigors of your job, but are engineered to keep you safe. The result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Hyperclimb is a new 100% polyester 11.7 millimeter double braid climbing line engineered for both moving and stationary rope systems that run well with your hardware and Pru6. Hyperclimb's low elongation is key for long ascents and dual purpose climbing. Hyperclimb from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit samsonrope.com for more information.